I kind of see this picture in my mind of like a comic strip. And you got two pictures. On one side, you have a caveman who's looking at a tree. And they're like partially shriveled up oranges colored leaves. And, and most of them on the ground. Uh-huh. And him with a basket with food and, and, and another basket with wood and, and all these sorts of mm-hmm. things in preparation. Yeah. But on the other side, I see this guy in a suit. Yeah, with this backpack with books falling out, and yeah. he's like looking at these leaves, and then you see bubbles coming from his head with all these hypotheses, yeah, and yeah. These, these beakers and, <laughs> and different test tubes pouring stuff yeah, in there. Yeah. Like while he's trying to figure out what this means, then the next set you see the caveman with this big fire and his family around <laughs> and like eating food and laughing. You see him over there frozen in a block of ice. Exactly. What's up, y'all? Welcome again to another episode of BS Faith, a.k.a. Bumper Sticker Faith, B.K.A. Um, two guys that ain't got a lot to do sometimes, and so we come on here and we talk about God and hope that it's something that yeah. is good to you and you like it. So what's up, brother? How your week, man? Pretty good. I uh, dropped my son off at college last week. Okay. So he's starting his sophomore year, so we drove to Ohio and yeah. took, him, took him to Cedarville. So shout out to Cedarville. Did you shed any tears or were you joyous that he was leaving? <laughs> no, I didn't shed any tears okay, this time. Right. Uh, this time, okay. Yeah, right. it was uh, good to good to get him off, get him get him set up. Um, so yeah, that was that he was, was probably ready to get away from y'all. Like he, man, he was <laughs> get away from these folks, man. These old people. I'm tired of being around old folks. You know, twenty twenty somethings always think you know people in their forties they old, but yeah. you know, we ain't old. Yeah, so he's uh he's there starting now, and uh, yeah, so that was my week. How okay, was, how was your uh, week, man? Mine was good. Um, you know, we might be having a young man to come live with us like any day now. Wow. So that's a blessing. Wow. 16 years old. He'll be enrolled in school. So that's a little different to have a school age person in the crib. But yeah. it's all good, man. It'd be a blessing to get a chance to invest in his young life. Yeah. So that's other than fantastic. that, man, everything is good. That's fantastic. So what we got on tap for today, man? Well, let's talk about God's existence. Oh, just that. <laughs> just the existence of God. Man, we might as well just like get up now because everybody knows that God is real and he exists, right? It, it seems like it's people are starting to uh, come around to that idea a little okay. bit more these days. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I think that from my experience, which is mostly in the jails and prisons, <laughs> that is true. That oh, it is the, true. Yeah, 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 at least the people yeah. that I encountered when I asked the question, yeah. they most seem to believe in a God, multiple gods, a creator, a supreme yeah. being. I mean, there's many different phrases they use, but it seems to be the majority of people have some thought about the existence of God. That's interesting, though, because you would think, like I started to think like those people would be close to the idea because of where they ended up, Mm. you know, about how uh, fate happened to them. You know, they're in prison now. But yeah. you're saying it doesn't work like that. Well, most of them realized that it wasn't fate that put them behind bars. <laughs> it was their own, like, criminal yeah. actions. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they understand why yeah. they're there for the most part. You, you reap what you sow. And That's right. And they realized that there was a divine law out there that they were going against. Yeah, amen. That is a good wake-up call. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah, I just felt the need to talk about uh, God's existence. Uh, I feel kind of 
jumbled in this conversation a little bit so far this morning. I've been thinking a lot about the last last couple of weeks. Uh, and a verse in the Bible that kind of captures kind of a direction for us is Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Mm. Now that whole little section in there is is really, I don't know, it's really cool. But focusing on verses 19 through 20, uh, let me just read it. Uh, it says this, So, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So, Paul's saying, he's saying that everybody has uh, a sense of God, right? And when he says, uh, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, like in the, uh, in the, in the original Greek language, it's saying that it's like shining out to them. It's manifest, not really, in, not really to them, but in them, it mm-hmm. says. It is, it's shining out in them or manifest in them because God has manifested it in them. So right off the bat, there's like this innate sense that every person has because God is manifesting himself in each person. And uh, I guess the systematic theological word for that is general revelation. Have you heard those two terms? Yeah, I've heard of general revelation. Yeah, so there's general revelation and uh, special revelation. So this would fall under the general revelation category, Mm -hmm. kind of knowledge about God that's available to all people at all times, all right? So, and we'll be an example of that so our listeners, if, they, if they're tracking but kind of not tracking. Yeah. So, uh, an innate sense of God, um, like all cultures, all culture, just think about this. This is what struck me. All cultures at all times have always believed in a God, right? No matter what God it is, where it is, what they worship. But it's kind of it's kind of strange <laughs> that they, that every culture and every time and every place of the world uh, finds some kind of being to worship, to um, bow down to, to follow, to listen to. I mean, isn't that isn't that remarkable? It, it is. Like if yeah. you could if you could find every culture at every time and every place who did one specific activity, like name any activity that we could do. Um, um, play, basketball play basketball <laughs> like if they all like played some version of basketball it would be uh it'd be more than a coincidence you would think yeah you without know? a doubt but especially when you look at some of those old like tarzan movies or just some old 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 movies that are supposed to like depict prehistoric times or something you'll see idols made and yeah. prayer and like yeah. fire pits and people around bowing down and stuff yeah. so you know, just just thinking back to things like that I've seen, you know, I've never really thought about this before, but that is pretty remarkable, man. At every part, every point in our planet's history, and we know biblically, you know, from the beginning that that's true, that yeah. people have thought of something bigger and greater than themselves that's powerful that they decide to bow down and worship. Yeah. It's like it's like finding in every culture, every people group from any place that everyone eats. <laughs> like they mm-hmm. eat food. Yeah. Like we kind of think, oh, duh, of course they eat. But like that's the point. Like 
all culture all cultures eat everyone has sex everyone shows aggression yeah. everyone uh creates things and actually the um the psychologist carl Jung. He, he named like the five great instincts of humans like sex and aggression and hunger and creativity and a religious instinct. Mm-hmm. He actually said that this impulse to religion was to seek after God was an instinct just as much as, a, as mm-hmm. it is an instinct to, like to be it, hungry. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that is interesting. And again, as you look at all the cultures, it makes sense. They all, they all seek God. So there's something about that. Yeah, uh, it, it, that makes sense just from my limited knowledge of the Bible that God built something in humans to have some thoughts and some form of desire towards him. Yeah. Um, but not making it like, well, they got to choose him and that's the only choice they can make. But to have like, I don't know, an emptiness or some blank thought yeah. that makes them wonder. And it's like supposed to point to him. But man in his sinful nature chooses to try to fill that void. With other things, with other all kinds God. of things, yeah. yeah, all kinds of things. Just like we we eat all kinds of things, oh, or You're making me hungry. Stop talking about food. <laughs> I'm giving me some good cinnamon rolls as soon as I leave here. Really, where are you getting them from? Um, this place in Carroll Street called Sour's Bakery. Oh, I love cinnamon rolls. Mm-hmm. They're the best around too. You know, cinnamon rolls are another proof that God exists. That's right. That's right. And ice cold chocolate milk. Mm. <laughs> uh, so general revelation includes this innate sense. It includes um, creation, like the things that nature, the things that have been made, uh, trees, mountains, all of that. And we'll get into to more of that. But you can look around outside you and, and ask, you know, how did this get here? Right. And yep. and then also part of general revelation is um, God's uh, providential care for everyone. So God's providence um, his like good foresight to look after everybody, no matter if you're you're a follower of him or not, because he he loves all people in that sense. He provides for all people, uh, even his enemies. So the fact that God um, provides for the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, humans, you know, all of that, mm-hmm. his providential care, um, it shows that he he exists. Like I I think about yeah, how does he care for all? animals in that like they're they all they eat they're provided for you know he built a system to do that you know like it's kind of like a machine you know he built yeah he doesn't necessarily have to do anything after he built it it's kind of self-sufficient because nature just kind of keeps filling each bucket that each living thing needs to survive so that's kind of i mean that's that's just amazing yeah it is amazing and it doesn't fail to happen. Like the sun always is up, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's a day after day after day. Yeah. Just if people just we just need to stop and think about that. Yeah. And be in, in awe of that. That it keeps happening. <laughs> Life yeah. keeps happening. Yeah, and the people that are more science and not God, like how could they like in any? How can any rational mind individual think that this stuff just happened mm-hmm. like out of the blue? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Man. Without a cause. Yeah, that's just yeah. utterly yeah. ridiculous. So that's all part of uh, general revelation. Oh, one last one for general revelation is a human conscience. Mm-hmm. The human conscience <laughs> mm-hmm. that convicts you, that knows right from wrong, that uh, kind of judges you. That uh, where, does it, where does that come from? 
Why do we feel guilty? Why? 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 Yeah, I, I kind of feel like, and we don't have to talk. I don't. I don't want to talk about this in detail because it could be a long conversation. But the human conscience, I kind of have some issues with it because I believe that the human conscience. Maybe I don't understand it all the way, but I feel like, like you just said, the conviction of doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. If from a child I'm taught that stealing is good. Then my con- will my conscience convict me of something wrong if I was taught that it's right? Mm-hmm. I don't know because mm-hmm. I wasn't raised like that. But I believe that it's possible. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if it is, then it negates this idea of this con- this conscience that we have that convicts us of when we do wrong. Mm-hmm. Because if we learn that from another context or another country that what's wrong here is right there. When we come over here and when we do it, mm-hmm. we're not gonna have any conviction. But I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, I, or want, I wonder analyst. So I wonder about that, and I wonder if it's. The, I wonder if you could like say that, but then when someone steals from you, if you feel the same way, yeah. yeah if someone takes something of your 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 like true conscience, will probably mm-hmm. kick in and say, "Hey, don't do that. That's not right. Yeah, that he, make, it he makes sense. Me. Yeah, it makes sense. Like you can maybe culturally." override your god-given conscience but 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 probably not for long and in fact in this romans verse in this romans one chapter it talks about people who overrode their conscience who what paul calls suppressed the truth that was in them yeah. and it's like it's harder to do that because the the natural normal thing it, it follows more along the lines of what what the Bible says, mm-hmm. but when we suppress our conscience and we override it, that takes a lot of energy. Yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. I have to I have to ponder that at some point <laughs> over a cinnamon roll. Yeah, maybe over a cinnamon roll. <laughs> so those are some general revelation, uh, and then you get into uh, special revelation too, and special revelation has to do specifically with um, what the Bible can share with us what the Christian faith can share with us. So special revelation, and we're not going to, we'll just go through this kind of quickly, but God's mighty works in history would be an example of special revelation, like the exodus from Egypt or the, or the cross or the Passover. Um, other, other forms of special revelation are dreams and visions mm-hmm. that people can have from God. Yeah. Uh, third one is the incarnation and the person of Christ. Like, this is that's a strong one to show the existence of God. Look at the person of Christ. Yeah, amen. Look at him. Look at what he says, what he does, and then um, scripture specifically. Look at what scripture says. So those are all forms of um, of special revelation. All right. So uh, I want to get on, and <laughs> I'm probably very naive to try to tackle some of these proofs because they're they're complicated, and I hope we can. Uh, convey this uh, a good and clear sense of them, but there are there are traditional proofs in in church history for the existence of God. Mm-hmm. So just to pause for a second, so we have the general revelation that we talked about, we have the special revelation that we mentioned, but also we have these additional proofs uh, from church history for uh, the existence of God, and. Um, w- one of them is the uh, ontological proof. All right, that's a mouthful, and that's uh, that was made by Anselm. I, f- I forget what when Anselm lived, a thou- thousands maybe. Um, I don't know. So, anyways, but 
keying back to our verse in Romans, it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So that's kind of general revelation. Uh, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. All right. So God's divine nature, let's just focus in on that word. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. So God's divine nature, um, that's where I want to kind of slip in the ontological argument because what is, um, God has a different nature than we do. We have a human nature. Mm -hmm. He has a divine nature. We are um, contingent beings, so we depend on something else for existence. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not. All right. And Anselm's ontological proof was a proof that you can do. I remember when I first learned this, that um, the, the other arguments you like need kind of like evidence for them. You observe things in the world, mm-hmm. like how things are made in that. For those kinds of proofs, those are called uh, a posteriori or after the fact proofs. But the ontological argument is the only a priori proof, which means before you even have any evidence, you could be sitting in your chair, eating your cinnamon rolls, having your chocolate milk, and do this thought experiment and realize that there's a God, all right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the genius of this argument, and, and, and it is a kind of a genius argument. So Anselm said, for this ontological proof, he said, number one, that God is a being than which none greater can be conceived, all right? That's a mouthful. Uh, but it's important it's worded like that. So God is a being than which none greater than can be conceived. Now, he could have just said that God is the greatest being. So mm-hmm. God is like the greatest conceivable being out there, okay? So number two. So he basically says it's one thing for something, a being, to exist just in your mind, and it's another thing for a being to exist in reality, all right? Which of those two is greater? And some would say, probably the one that exists both in your mind and in reality would be the greater being, right? Uh, So I like to think of it like this. So like if you are employing, having having a job for the the job of God, right? And you're taking in resumes and you get these two different, you get all these resumes and they all say the same kinds of things like, I can create a world, I can sustain a world, I can save people from their sins. I can do all this. But the, the, but the very last line of this person's resume says, but I don't exist in reality. Hmm. <laughs> all right. And then you get the, this one last resume that says all those same things. I created the world and that, saved people, and I exist in reality. Which of those two would you hire? It's like the greatest one would be the one that exists in reality. Mm-hmm. So to Anselm then, that's the proof that therefore God <laughs> must exist. Because if we can think of a being that is the greatest conceivable being, then he has to exist because the one who exists is the greatest possible being, not the one that just exists in your mind. That would actually be a lesser being, not the greatest. I don't know. <laughs> Let that kind of settle in, hmm. settle in your mind if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think I feel like I follow what you're saying. It just sounds like a whole bunch of like words and circles, mm-hmm. like you said. And like it's important for it to be said one way, but you know, I feel like there's a, a shorter, more succinct, more understandable way to say it than to like be talking in circles. That's 
that's the way my mind thinks. I need it plain and simple. Yeah, that it's a it's kind of a, a complicated one, and it could help people to like look up like Anselm's ontological argument and just study kind of the points until um, until it clicks. So that's the that's the ontological proof, though. All right. So I want to get to um, I want to talk about something um, about related to his invisible attributes first because because this is in the in the recent days which has really kind of helped me um, with this it says for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature so the fact that god is invisible and he has invisible attributes and when we talk about god existing um, it's important that we realize that god doesn't exist like we normally think of existing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, this has really struck home to me. Some guys online, a guy named Jonathan Pajot, has kind of re- really been hitting hard on this. Um, and and throughout church history, there's been guys like the great Dionysius, the pseudo-Areopagite was his name, um, kind of put forth this kind of idea that God doesn't exist like like we exist. Okay, so when we say like this mug exists, does God exist like this mug exists? And the answer is no, clearly no, because this mug is made up of of created things. Right? You have ceramic and paint and whatever else is in here yeah, yeah. that make up this mu- atoms, molecules, all these things that make up. God isn't made up. Of any of those things because those are all created things right they're all contingent things they're based on some something else making them god ha- doesn't have anything making him that's what that's what makes him god so he doesn't exist like this all right he doesn't exist like a cup exists he exists in a different way he he's, he's spirit he has these invisible attributes now um another guy his name's gavin ortland who um a recent a modern guy um, in his book about God's existence, says that God exists like Shakespeare exists to Hamlet. And I thought that was really good and worth pondering, worth thinking about. So you have Shakespeare, the author, and you know Hamlet, a character in one of his books. So, so if Hamlet were within, his, within the story, um, try to find God in the pages of the book, like, or find Shakespeare, rather, in the pages of the book, he wouldn't be able to find Shakespeare. Like, he can't point to a word, he can't point to a thing and say, there's God, Mm -hmm. because God doesn't exist as a character in a story like that. Mm -hmm. But you could also say that God is behind every single character in that book. God is behind every word. So it's like he's existing through Shakespeare. Yes, he's existing through him. And he couldn't exist without Shakespeare. And Shakespeare couldn't exist without him. Yep. Yep. So... I really like that. That um, that that's how God exists exists for us too. Like we can sit here and um, try to find God. Like the first fame, the famous uh, Russian guy, whatever his name was, who went up in outer space and he looked around and he said, "Oh, I don't see God up here, so it must not <laughs> exist." It's like no, that's that's not how God exists like that. He doesn't exist like a person exists or like a star exists or a mug exists. That's again. It's like Hamlet saying, "I don't see God." It's Shakespeare anywhere yeah. in here, so he must I, not I feel, exist. I feel like right now, specifically, what we're talking about is 
It just reminds me of the Tower of Babel. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like. How so? Pe- well, because people are trying to reach God, right? And I feel mm. like people trying to prove the existence of God going this route in this way, to me, can still leave questions in a person's mind. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you try to prove the existence of God void of faith, then you're going to be left still desiring more facts. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is a, a strictly like factual based thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the existence of God can be proved solely on facts, that there has to be an element of faith. <clears throat> and these guys you're mentioning, at least thus far, there's faith is not even in the equation. It's mm-hmm. all factual accounts as we philosophize, even if that's a word, as we yeah, ponder, as we think, you know, where is faith? And so I've, I've talked to almost as many people who have turned away from God because of trying to dive into this way of figuring out the mm-hmm. existence of God um, than the opposite of the simplicity of seeing God and his creation and then wondering still, how did it become created? Mm-hmm. That's a mystery. There's no facts behind that. But the element of faith seems to be easily reached by people this way than people the other way. And maybe I just encountered a whole bunch of people in my life in Christ that are way smarter than me that have taken this path and this end up having an adverse effect mm-hmm. instead of them being like, wow, and being in awe. So they get into these arguments. They get into try to finding God in this way. and Yeah, and it's, the, it's like they had a form of belief in God prior to this mm-hmm. and this just completely turned them away because they were frustrated because mm-hmm. at the end of the day man we can go through all of this and we can read all the books about all these dead people and these modern people mm-hmm. we still can't 100% through facts prove the existence of God absolutely so it takes faith it is always yes. going to take faith and to me this is for the intellectual who mm-hmm. wants to dive like sub ocean like below the bottom of the depths of the Mm -hmm. ocean where no man is gone this is where people want to go with this Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day you're going to find that person that's way up here above the ground is not even in the water and this person has to use the same thing as this person to finally believe Mm -hmm. that there is a god you see what i mean they both take faith they both take faith i'm just saying one has done all this work to dive deep yeah in order to prove something but at the end of the day the only proof is i gotta have faith Mm mm-hmm I mean, that's, to that's me, what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to is having faith. Now, you know, there's different p- types of thinking and different people yeah. in this world who um, you have to understand and know some of this stuff because this will appeal to them. And it, it may draw them in to believing more in God. It's just been my experience. It's had the adverse effect, mm-hmm. you know. And so I I try to stay away. This is like um, the blue flame. You know, like in fire, like they say, the blue is the hottest. I don't know if that's true. If it is, this is the blue flame for me. You know, like I'm not even going, I don't want to go through the red and yellow and the orange, but this is like the blue flame. It's like from the the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. So, but I mean, it's interesting to me, but, you know, I just want to give my little two cents. No, I I, I like, that's, that's a very important, it's very important because like you said, both kinds need faith in the end. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I could be wrong. What's what struck me um, in thinking about this lately is 
that the the scientific approach like we're so much swimming in a scientific mindset these days like for the past century mm-hmm. <laughs> that we we don't even realize that that's what we're swimming in and that that's what we truly look to and like a thought experiment that that I came up with was let's say you have two people uh, standing in a room in front of you and they both um, claim to believe that God exists okay and you you like come to hear them speak or whatever and there's a you know an audience there and the, and the first guy stands up and he's a Nobel winning scientist like a physicist, mm-hmm. whatever, like he's educated, he's won all the prizes and degrees, and he stands up and says, there is a God, I believe in him. Um, people would be pretty wild by that, and they'd mm-hmm. be like signing up to hear him talk, and they'd be sharing buying his, his books, yeah. buying his books, sharing his videos and that. And okay, the next guy who comes up is a pastor, and he says, I believe in God. <laughs> people wouldn't be that impressed no, with they'd, that. They'd be expected. They'd be expected. But you see, that right there betrays, even in believers like us, like, quite frankly, I'd probably be more wowed by the scientist. But that just shows that my mind thinks that scientific proof is better than biblical proof, than common reason proof, than innate sense proof. Like, for some reason, we elevate scientific knowledge up as an idol yeah. and says, if, if something can pass that scientific test... Wow, that that's amazing, but that just betrays yeah. um, more of what we look to as yeah. the highest it's counter, value. It's countering what God has given us so plainly to know of His existence that man has to figure out. You know, and it's almost like God made us too smart. You know, in a sense. Mm. You know, we have so much intellect. Some people do <laughs> a lot more. People have more than me, but they have so much intellect and so much capacity. That instead of the faith it takes to believe in the simple things, they have to use this brain, mm-hmm. this intellect God has given them to dive deeper in um, to prove that existence. But it still doesn't see that's the difference to me, like from a simple from the general revelation and the um, what's the other one, the general and special. the special revelation like to me is a. Uh, a, I don't want to say a simple faith because simple simple kind of has a negative connotation like it's not that deep. Well, let me frame it this way for a second that it's like having that intellect and following that is not bad but it's when you yeah. trust in that. Yeah, that's, yes. It's that's, when you put you. your trust yes, in that. Yes, yes. And so maybe the, it's, not, exactly it's right. not general and special revelation or not a matter of simplicity but it's who you're trusting. Yeah, your, your, yourself and your abilities. Yeah, you're or, absolutely right. I'm glad you interjected that. And that's, I guess, that's what I'm really getting at with the scientific approach or the super intellectual approach is they're trusting in a their ability to learn mm-hmm. and understand, and b they're trusting that there are facts that they can find to prove something that is in them already that God mm-hmm. created to put kind of two and two together. Mm-hmm. But if they end, if they don't end up with all the facts to mm-hmm. put two and two together, then, then what are they left yeah. with? They're mm-hmm. left with then I must have faith, or God must not be real. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I don't know any other conclusion mm-hmm. you can have other than that. If that's mm-hmm. what your, if that's what the point of your research and studying is, is to prove mm-hmm. the existence of God. And I would say, 
when I say the the simplistic faith or the you know faith you know like a child has in believing in the general um, revelation and the special revelation, like there's a trust and a faith that has to be had there. And to me, like if you look at the two groups of people, the people that are more like I would say the child life simple faith mm-hmm. looks at the other person and goes, "Wow, man, like that's crazy." And even in a sense, like man, you're wasting your time. But then the other group looks at someone like myself and thinks. Man, you simple-minded fool. Like, you just want to, like, throw faith around as if it's, you know, a horseshoe trying to get it around a ring Mm -hmm. um, and not even really understanding what you even believe in because you've just decided to just Mm -hmm. cast your faith somewhere. See, that that gets at the – I mean, that assumes the scientific mindset. Like, you just captured that. Like, when they say you don't even understand what you believe in, uh, there's a different way of 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 knowing that is, very, like, it's essential that we, that we look at and consider. Okay, so let's say this struck me the other day as I was sitting outside uh, on a break looking at the, at the leaves, you know, it's, it's getting in, it's going to be fall soon, you know, mm-hmm. here. And, like, Let's say I look up and I, I look at leaves and I see that they're orange, that they turned orange. Now, I could approach it in a two different ways. I could say the scientific approach would be, do you know how those leaves turned orange? <laughs> like, mm. do you know the process by which they turned orange? You know, something to do with chlorophyll and mm. coldness and all that. You may or may not know scientifically how those turned orange that's one way of knowing Mm -hmm. of of knowledge and to break it all down look at its parts analyze it how does it work all that but there's another form of knowledge and that is what does it mean (laughs) like what does it mean that the leaves are turning orange and that's just as important form of knowledge if not more because and when i look and see that they're orange i'm i Especially in a culture, maybe more a primitive culture, I would say, oh, it's going to be winter soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything's yeah. going to die. I better, it, the orange leaves means I better start storing up, getting everything in order, finding some shelter, providing for myself for the long winter. That's what that means. And I kind of see this picture in my mind of <laughs> like a comic strip. And you got two pictures. On one side, you have a caveman who's looking at a tree and they're like, partially shriveled up oranges colored leaves and, and most of them on the ground uh-huh. and him with a basket with food and, and, and another basket with wood and, and all these sorts of mm-hmm. things in preparation. Yeah. But on the other side, I see this guy in a suit yep. with this backpack with books falling out and yeah. he's like looking at these leaves and then you see bubbles coming from his head with all these hypotheses yeah, and yeah. These, these beakers and, <laughs> and different test tubes pouring stuff in yeah, there. Yeah. Like while he's trying to figure out what this means, then the next set you see the caveman with this big fire and his family around <laughs> and like eating food and laughing. And you see him over there frozen in a block of ice. Exactly. You know, and it's That's like it, while, exactly. while you're on this trip of proving something, yeah. You missing the point that yeah. this guy who was very yeah. simple, he's a caveman, yep. but he understands exactly. what you said. He don't know how it happens, but he know what it means when he it does what it happen. Means. And he's acting accordingly. That's right. And that's a more powerful form of knowledge and a valid form that we take for granted. And we think that's not as superior, but but it is. It's like 
you can like the kind of the cliche you can analyze what a kiss is mm. <laughs> like you're exchanging saliva molecules and, and germs and whatever mm-hmm. when someone kisses you that's the scientific approach you know what is it or you, you can see it symbolically as a kiss means that person loves me mm-hmm. and has accepted me and cares for me yeah, and embrace the emotions of feelings yeah. that become and then mind. you as a person and because you know what that means you reciprocate mm-hmm. and you know you can live your life so find like what does this mean and so back to the the general revelation even uh, what does it mean that i have a hunger what does it mean that all cultures everywhere have believed in a god what does it mean that the birds are cared for what does it mean all these things that's where when you follow that form like the guy with the leaves you can um, adduce that there is a god that there is a being that is caring for us, yeah. that's created us, and yeah. so forth. But you got some other, you got a cosmological proof, a theological proof. Like, I want to hear that. Like, <laughs> that, that, at least at least scratch the surface okay, we'll, on some of those. We'll, we'll scratch the surface. Yeah, I want to hear it. You probably can help with some of these. I don't know. So, um, <laughs> don't count on it. <laughs> so, uh, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and uh, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So, God's eternal power. Um, I, I have keyed in on this, the uh, cosmological proof from Aquinas. And this is, like I said, an a posteriori argument. So, after you look at the facts, you can come up with this. So, the cosmological proof um, looks at, takes a look at the world, Aquinas says, and... Um, and asks, how did, how did the world get moving, right? Because he basically says, everything that exists has, had to have something bring it into existence or get it moving. And you uh, trace that back far enough and you get to what he called the first mover who got everything moving, right? So it's like a basketball. God put the <laughs> planet Earth on his finger and he started spinning yeah. it. <clears throat> he created gravity and then he let it go. And it's just sitting there still spinning. I don't like the letting go part, and we'll get to that. Oh, we'll get to that. Gotcha, and we'll gotcha, get to that gotcha. in a minute. Gotcha, but yeah, gotcha. but yeah, you're right. You're but right. that's the idea. He said. So Aquinas said, it's evident in our senses that the world, in the world, some things are in motion, and um, he he go he traces it all the way down. So this so this mug got here because someone made the mug out of molecules. How the how the ceramic get there? How someone made that? Someone mm. dug it up from the you earth. Just keep tracing. Well, back just keep tracing to it back. Where did that thing come from? Yeah. You get to God. You get to God, the one who started moving it all. Now, some people would say, "Oh, yeah, well, who made God then?" Exactly. I think that's a legit question. It is a legitimate question, but that doesn't take into consideration what we talked about before, that God doesn't exist like everything else exists. Sure, sure. Everything that he got moving exists contingently or derivatively. It depends on him. But he exists on a different level, like, again, Shakespeare to Hamlet. Mm-hmm. How did all the characters in Hamlet get there? But it, it still doesn't negate, like, I agree with you on that, but it still doesn't answer the question, how did God come into existence? Even if I take out all the ways we know of things existing, there's still a void left in my mind of, well, what was that for God? Because my mind can't fathom something existing like that hasn't been created. That's right. (laughs) Our our minds can't go beyond that. And that's what makes him God, because he is existence. Mm -hmm. He is 
being itself. And that's where, to me, that's where I would tell a person if I'm having a conversation, <clears throat> look at look at everything we've gone through and talked about and looked at up to this point, which has all been kind of facts based. Mm -hmm. This is where faith has to come in. Mm -hmm. That oh, yeah. I don't know, yeah. I can't comprehend, I can't understand. And for a person that has got below mm -hmm. the depths of the sea at this point, <clears throat> and he comes to this conclusion, many people, most people I've found at this point, just ball everything up and throw mm -hmm. it in a trash can because they're like, man, mm -hmm. this stuff don't make no sense. Well, it's because everything else kind of can make sense. It's important to, to keep our distinction between matter and meaning. All right. It's so important because I think the further you go along with the scientific mindset of, well, how did God get, who made God, you know, that like you're, you're going to drive yourself insane. It's, it's the, what does this mean question that you need to bring in there. Um, and that brings you to faith. And well, I'm saying it can bring you to faith. It can bring Most you to faith. Most of the people I've yeah. encountered like this, it doesn't bring them to yeah. faith. It takes them where they were entertaining the existence of God. And as they went on a journey to kind of, quote unquote, prove it, they come to a bitter end. Mm -hmm. And then they, the little bit of belief they had, they decide not to have. Mm -hmm. So that's why I don't like traveling down that road. <laughs> yeah. If people want to travel down that road, I send them to somebody else. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're giving them some a, yeah. a little bit of maps. Hopefully. All right. So that's the cosmological argument argument from the first mover. So let's go to the uh, teleological oh, proof. And this is was made famous by William Paley and the watchmaker his watchmaker illustration. So in our verse, it's uh, it's it says ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. All right. So there, I'm getting the teleological proof. Um, from that. And William Paley says, imagine you're out in the woods, you know, taking a stroll, looking for cinnamon rolls, and mm. <laughs> and your your toe hits a rock. And like, you could look down at that rock and assume that it's been there forever. And you may or may not be right, okay? But then he says, now you're walking out in the woods and your toe hits something, you look down, and it's a watch. And you reach down and over, pick up the watch, and you see it's all working. The, you know, the arms of the watch, the mechanism, and the gears, and all that, the shininess of it. He said, "You would never assume that that's been there forever. <laughs> like Correct. it, it had to be placed there. Number one, and then number two, it had to be made by someone, mm -hmm. right? And 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 when that that was his teleological proof that when you look at this world." How, how it's made and how it's or the gears of this world and its perfection like you you can't assume that it's that it doesn't have a designer or a maker this is teleological proof now I like um, I don't like so much the the watch idea because it tends to bring people to the place where you kind of alluded to before where God just wound up this world and let it go and it's going by itself I don't think that's the case. I think that God is actively involved in keeping this world and holding it together. So I like to use an illustration of like a guitar. You're walking mm -hmm. in the woods and your toe hits a guitar and uh, you pick it up. Kind of the same idea. But the thing about a guitar is like it needs someone to play it, right? Yeah. And it's beautiful. It makes music. And when I look at creation, when I look at what God has made, he is playing creation, making this beautiful music that when you look at it with faith, you, you can hear it and you can yeah. see it. Uh, but that's my, uh, my little thing about that. Uh, but that's a teleological proof. 
And then the uh, last one is the, the moral argument, uh, probably made most famous by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. Mm. Have you heard of this one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard of the book. I don't know what argument that you're... Because <laughs> you're going to ask me a question and be like, oh, man. I may or may not have heard of the argument. Uh, so in Romans 1, it gets into people... Um, Paul saying that they're without excuse and then people judging one another. Uh, so we have this built-in morality, that conscience we referred to. Mm-hmm. So Lewis basically said that this... The fact that we can determine right from wrong, like I can say that when you take something from me, I can say, hey, that's not right. Then you can ask me, like, where did you get the idea of right and wrong? And I can point to a law and I can say, oh, well, the law says, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody knows, even if it's not the Ten Commandments or a governmental law, everybody knows you shouldn't take. And that's the law. And then Lewis would ask, well, well, if there's a law, then there must be a lawgiver. Mm. And the lawgiver, he said, is God. So without a lawgiver, you wouldn't have a law. And without a law, you wouldn't have this. You wouldn't know right from wrong. And everybody has that sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the, uh, that's the moral argument. Okay. <clears throat> I have not heard that before. Oh, that's a good. That, that's a good. It's, I mean, that's I mean it a, makes sense. It's a powerful one. I think, because where do you get this idea of right and wrong? You know, when you're in a discussion with someone who says who, you know, it, it has to point to a standard, right? Has to yeah, point to I, something. I agree. I agree. So, uh, I don't know where we want to go from here, but um, I have some other, um, I have some other thoughts about uh, the logos that we could, that we could get into, um, at at the end here, like this how, is getting more into my like my my like path of like talking about the existence of God. Oh, and stuff. let's not neglect this. Then. Well, I mean, I'm just saying we. <laughs> I'm just saying like when we talk about yeah. the Gospel of John, specifically the first chapter and Colossians, yeah. the first chapter. That's when we can so see. Good. Yeah, that's when we. That's the depths I like going into. Which yeah. definitely you have to have an element of faith. But we yeah. talk about that up front. Yeah. Versus the other way, I feel like that kind of can come at the end. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on where your conversation starts, who you're yeah. talking with, too, yeah. what they want to um, start off with. Yep. So that's true. I, I said that God doesn't is, does not exist like a mug exists, you know, visibly mm-hmm. out of contingent created things. Mm-hmm. Well, then how does God exist? Well, God exists as a logos. His, his word says that. And logos means word, you yeah. know, like capital W. And it says that the... Jesus is the Word, all mm-hmm. right? He's in, he's in this invisible Word. So in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, it starts off by saying that um, in the, how in the beginning it, was, in the was the Word, word and the, the word, word was with God, and, and the, the word, word was God. God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, mm-hmm. and nothing was made that has been made, that that exists, basically. Mm-hmm. And then all the way down to verse 14, and the, and the, the Logos became, flesh and, became flesh and dwelt among us. So... Jesus is the Word, all right? And He was in the beginning creating with mm-hmm. God, which is a mysterious, wonderful thing. But we even have reference to that in Proverbs. Mm. In Proverbs chapter 8, it talks about wisdom, or the Logos, being there in the beginning as God, right along with God, creating the world, mm-hmm. acting with God, the Father, yeah. 
rejoicing with God the Father, creating all these things. So even in the Old Testament, we have the presence of the Logos. Mm -hmm. And if you jump back even further to Genesis chapter 1, it starts off kind of just like John starts off, that with the Word speaking, Mm -hmm. all right? In the beginning, God created. He spoke, and He said, let there be light. But the Logos is a thing that spoke in, in the beginning. And I think the Genesis account... Uh, it really helps us understand what the Logos does. So in Genesis, there was nothing, and the world was formless About and void. void. Yeah. yeah, the old Hebrew tohu and bohu. Oh yeah, <laughs> like I've never heard the of formless <laughs> and empty. And so and there's no there's no shape to it. Uh, it didn't make any sense, and it was dark. And then the word spoke, and it brought things to. It just brought things into, um, I guess, some kind of sense, you know, into shape. And then it brought light, which is knowledge, right? And so that's like that's what the logos always does: is it it brings shape to things, and it brings light or knowledge to things. Mm-hmm. All right, um, and like kind of taking that um, on a sort of on a tangent, like you can sit you just within your own you can sit here and think how do you see how are you capable of seeing the world all right right now so like when you look out at the world and i'm i'm serious this may seem like a mental kind of mind game thing but it's not it's like when you look at the world why are you able to see what you're able to see so like again with these things with this mug why are you able to see that this is a mug why not when you look at it just see particles you know what I mean? They say like a dog can't watch TV because a dog's vision doesn't align with like mm, the, oh, okay. it just sees like random spotted things. Mm, and so okay. like I show a dog on the TV to my dog and he looks at it and I expect him to get excited yeah, yeah. like the dog outside on the street, mm-hmm. but he just stares at it because he can't comprehend. It's mm. all like this pixelated digital mess to him. Yeah. Like, why don't we see the world like that? Mm. Why are we able to see patterns like this? And the logos, from a logocentric point of view, logos is a thing that brings everything in the shape so that when I look at this, I don't see, or when I look at this table, I don't see screws, wood, paint, all this, but I'm just able to see desk. And I can see a thousand versions of, of this thing, and I know, and they're all different, yeah. and I know they're all desks yeah. because I have this pattern, this shape. So why are we able to, even if things are right close to each other, like this is actually resting on the desk, and I don't say that this is part of the desk, it's a different thing because I'm able to see patterns and I have this knowledge. And, and that's the presence of the Logos everywhere, giving us the ability to truly see. Because could you imagine living in life if everything was just a, a, a blurry, pixelated mess where you couldn't discern one thing from the other. Like all that dust around Pigpen and Charlie Brown? Yeah. Like you had that cloud yeah. of dust and dirt. The whole out. world could look like that yeah. to you without having changing anything. It could actually look like that. But for some reason, everything snaps in the proper place. We're able to see everything. That's God holding the world together for us. Mm. That's, a pres- that's His presence right here, right now with us mm. in the world. And that... Like that gets me to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. It says, it's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Again, think the Genesis, think the Proverbs, think the John. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Just powerful that God holds, he holds it all together. Jesus. Jesus holds holds everything. everything He's the word that holds everything together. Yep. For us. Amen. That's um, I remember when I first came across that verse, I would just blew my mind. He he is the he is the meaning of everything. That's also what it means to be the logos. Mm-hmm. So that we look when we look at the orange leaf, we're able to see, oh, winter's coming. Yeah. When we look at when we receive a kiss, we're able to see, oh, that person loves me. Mm-hmm. When we see God's acts to make the world to hold things together, to provide for us. We're able to see the meaning behind that. Oh, there is a God who's out there who cares, who brings uh, meaning uh, into my life. But when we, yeah. Mm. Any, 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 my, any thoughts on that? No, my thought is this is some good stuff to ponder and chew on for people who will listen. So we're getting close. Yeah, we're you there. Know, we, we, um, Man, this this probably been the deepest podcast we've done, <laughs> at least in my opinion. So, and it's still like more meat on the bone. Yeah, there's to get off a lot more meat. You got a book that would represent the meat on the bone. Why don't you hold that book up so they can see it? Oh yeah, we got this. This, got this some, is meat on the meat on the bone. It's a lot. Some, Look at that. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good one. That's one of them collegiate books right there, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I feel like I don't know any of it. <laughs> man, you know, but, the more you read it, the more the surface you scratch. Yeah, and the more you confuse yourself. Possibly, hopefully, we don't leave you confused. Because if we did, then we didn't do what we supposed to but do. But people so. can look up some of these things, yeah, so like the ontological up. argument, yeah, the moral, the moral argument, the theological argument. Well, the book that I would recommend uh-huh. is by Gavin Ortland on the existence of God. Okay, O R T L A N D. Gavin Ortland, the existence of God. Yeah, check it out. We, we don't work for him. I don't even know him. I don't know what he looks like. <laughs> Uh, but I'm taking Sam's word. That yeah, is a good book that's to check a, out. That's a good so book on God's existence. If you want to dive deeper and get to the depths of the sea, then get the existence of God by Gavin or- Ortland, right? Yeah. L-U-N-D. So, man, it's been a joy as always. Spend time with y'all. Hopefully you learned something. If if you didn't learn, hopefully we didn't confuse you. Um, and if you know anybody that's wrestling with this topic, man, maybe send this to them. Tell them, man, take a listen. You know, and get somewhere still and quiet. Mm-hmm. Where they can really pay attention. Listen more so to Sam than listen to me because I'm kind of like a knucklehead, you know. But um, well, as Charles Butler say, knucklehead. I hope also people, <laughs> I mean, they realize that there's a, there's been a lot of thought put into this throughout history about God's existence. It's oh, not yeah. just, you know, taken for granted. That's why, I'm saying, that's why I liken it to the Tower of Babel, you know. People trying to build <laughs> yeah. their way to God for since the existence of existence. Yeah. People have been trying to find God and understand God and know God. And man has not stopped to date to yeah. try to figure God out. And he can't be figured out. Yeah. And the Tower of Babel kind of represents the further you go up in your head, you know, and trust in that. And the further away from the ground of, of existence and reality that you get, you get into trouble. Yeah. 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 That's good. And you that's just need good. to trust your... Uh, and some sermons in this somewhere. Yeah. We should talk about, <laughs> talk about Babel. Cool. All right, y'all. Well, man... Thanks for joining us again. Don't go stepping in no BS. All right. God bless. God bless. Peace.